0: to existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Lord, we thank you for this mighty, this life-giving word that you have given to us. We thank you, Jesus, for your life and your resurrection hope that you have given to us. And now we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would open up and unfold your word for us, so that we can see what you have done for us. And we pray in your name. Amen. One writer I was reading in preparation for this week comments on this very last verse with these words. It says this, this one verse is an abridgment of the whole gospel, the sum of all the good news in the world. And I love that phrase, the sum of all of the good news in the world. Paul summarizes then all of the good news in the world with these two parts, these two phrases that are there in verse 25. The first part being that Jesus was delivered up by his father for our trespasses. God took our sins in all of their ugliness, in all of their rebellion, in all of their uncleanness, God took our sins and God took the punishment for all of our sins, the least of them to the greatest of them, and God put them on his Son. He was delivered up for our trespasses. And the Son, having received upon himself our sins and the condemnation that belonged to us for our sins, became The perfect sacrifice, the one whose blood was sufficient to cover all of those sins. He became for us the means by which the wrath and the anger of God against sin and against sinners was satisfied because instead of being poured out upon us, that wrath was poured out upon him as the Son. He became for us the means by which we are reconciled to God. We are brought back together with God in peace. And he became for us, Jesus, the ransom. The price that was paid. The redemption that was owed for us, Jesus paid with his precious blood. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross in his suffering and death and burial and humiliation. He purchased for us full atonement, the forgiveness of our sins. That's Good Friday. That's the first half of this verse, the first half of this phrase. It is the first part of the good news. But, The reality is, all that I just said would be incomplete news and and certainly not fully good news were it not for the second phrase that is there as well, and raised for our justification. These two truths, these two ideas, delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification are mutually dependent Good Friday isn't good without Easter Sunday. It is simply another person dying without Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday isn't enough without Good Friday. Had Jesus just led a life and died of natural causes without bearing upon himself our sins and our trespasses, then Easter Sunday is not enough. It needs Good Friday. Now Paul here is allowing us to see both aspects of these things of what Jesus has done by the way that he writes here. But we must ultimately remember that they are together, that they can't be separated, that together they're the sum of all of the good news in the world. But the way he writes and the way we're allowed to look at it here is we can pull them apart For just a few moments to be able to consider the one which we did on Good Friday. And now to consider the other raised for our justification. So if the first phrase describes the humiliation of Jesus our Lord for us. Then the second phrase shines the spotlight on the exaltation of Jesus our Lord for us. That. Jesus was raised from the dead is the great fact. It is the quintessential fact of Christianity. It is the essential, indispensable fact of Easter. Without it, without the resurrection, of the dead we're still in our sins without the resurrection of the dead there's no hope for our resurrection without the resurrection of the dead our faith is in vain what we're doing right now is just foolishness and just vanity without the resurrection from the dead but why 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 was he raised what is the significance of the resurrection for us Now, if we ask that question, and that is the question we are asking today, if we ask that question, what's the significance of the resurrection for us? There are a number of things that we could say, and we'd be right in accord with all the Bible has to say about this. For example, we could consider that part of the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us is that in his resurrection is the hope of our own bodily resurrection, that those two things are bound up together, that if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, we don't rise from the dead. That's what Paul is talking about at the end of the letter to the Corinthians. We could also talk about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us strength for today and motivation for today to live a life, a resurrection life that has started within us to empower a life of holiness and pursuit after the Lord. We're not just waiting for it, it has started in us, and there are any number of passages in the New Testament that we could turn to and see that, and we could spend an entire sermon on it, and it would be fantastic. We could talk about the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fulfillment. It's a fulfillment of prophecies that were made. It's a fulfillment also of the very words of Jesus himself. Who right? said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days? And when we see the resurrection as a fulfillment of prophecy and a fulfillment of the words of Jesus, it gives us confidence not only in the resurrection, but in all of the promises of God that have been made, of all of the word of God, to see there's truthfulness in this, because here is the evidence of it. A man has raised from the dead as he said he would. Or we could think about the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection in the fact that we have now not just a dead Savior, but a living Savior who even now at this moment is living, who is here with us through the power of his Spirit, and who is at the same moment interceding for us, mediating for us right now as the living Savior before our Heavenly Father. Any of those we could talk about and it would be blessed and glorious to talk about any of those. The Bible gives all of those as reasons for the resurrection. But in this text, and really uniquely in this text, the why of the resurrection is specifically our justification. He was raised for our justification. Why? Why was Jesus raised by his father? Answer here, for our justification think of it this way if in his death for us jesus paid off a debt that we owed but could not pay then in his resurrection he gives us something that we would otherwise be wanting that would otherwise be lacking on the one he pays the debt that we owe in the other in the resurrection He gives something which we otherwise would not have, namely our justification. Maybe an oversimplification would be to say that his death erases a negative by paying it and his resurrection supplies a positive. The positive is the justification. So let's take a few moments now and unpack then this resurrection gift of justification justification is a legal term admittedly it's not a term that we hear all the time it's not one that's immediately familiar to us or that we hear the word and we know immediately what we are talking about I shared with a friend who's not a believer uh, the title of the sermon which is simply the last phrase uh, that's in this verse I shared that with him this week and he said I don't know what that means I don't know what that means this man happens to be a lawyer I don't know what that means. I thought, well, you should know what this means. Um, It's a legal type of term. But nevertheless, that's what he said. So let's unpack what this means. This idea of justification is the, or at least it's a central concern of Paul in all of the book of Romans, and particularly in this section that we have right here in front of us in chapter 4. We're squarely in the middle of Paul trying to understand this idea of justification. If, If we ask them this question, well, what is it? What is justification? Perhaps let's start with the opposite of it. Maybe it would help us to, instead of thinking, first of all, of justification, what's the opposite of justification? Well, the opposite of justification is condemnation. condemnation, that's the other side of it. That's a word that probably rings a little bit more quickly in terms of meaning for us than justification. Everybody can have a sense of what it means to be condemned for something. To be condemned for something is to be pronounced guilty and then to have to serve the sentence of punishment for whatever that guilt was. We get the idea pretty quickly of condemnation. And think of it in this letter itself. In this letter itself, many of us rejoice, for example, uh, in Romans chapter 8, right? Romans chapter 8 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation belongs to the people of God. The flip side is, if there's no condemnation, what is there? And the answer, of course, is there's justification. But we rejoice. Everybody rejoices in the no condemnation idea. And then let me read you another thing from Romans chapter 8 as well that helps us, I think, to understand this a little bit more. Here's a question from verse 33 of chapter 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's the one who can charge? Who can bring a charge against you to say you ought to be condemned? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? And here you see these two things playing off against one another. If God is the one who says you're just, who's the one who's going to say something to God and say, no, you're not. No, you're not. I condemn you if God is, in fact, the one who has justified us. So, in contrast, then, to condemnation, justification is the legal act and declaration by God that a person is not only not liable for guilt and punishment they have deserved because they have been forgiven, but it's more than that. It's that in addition to that, in addition to the forgiveness of that which they have done wrong, they are, in fact, declared to be righteous. Declared to be righteous. Given something they did not have. And that is extraordinarily good news. We are full, and you know this. You don't need the Bible to tell you this. We know it. We are full of sin and unrighteousness. But if you need the Bible to tell it to you, the Bible tells it to you in the chapter right before this one. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's not one who is righteous in and of, himself. And yet, what we're talking about here is that we are declared to be, considered to be, reckoned to be, counted to be righteous or justified. And, and, and if, you're, if you're thinking along the lines here, you, that you, you would ask this question, how can a just and righteous God, a just And righteous judge of mankind, how can can such a God declare people like us who are unjust and unrighteous, how could he declare us to be justified? Isn't that contrary to justice? How can that be just that he would declare us to be justified? Now Paul's answer to that question, and that's, that's what he's got in mind here, that's, that's what he's playing out, Paul's answer to that question is that there is in fact a way, a way that is made by God to accomplish that very thing, and it is through the resurrection of Christ for our Justification. He was raised for our justification. There is something about the resurrection of Jesus that allows us to be declared righteous and just. Note, before we explore that more, we don't get justified because God is nice and time heals all old sins. Now, that's saying it in a little bit of a colloquial way, but if we want to say it in a scriptural way, we are not justified because God is merciful. God's mercy may be behind what brings us justification, but we're not justified because of the fact that God is merciful, which is what 99% of people would like to believe, that God is just going to forget about everything, that all of the wrongs that you've done, God's just going to say, ah, I'm not thinking about those at all. I'm not thinking about those. We don't get justified by that. We don't get justified because we would really like to be justified. Who would not rather be justified than be condemned? We don't get justified because on the whole, in the mean, we're not such bad people that deep down inside, God knows we're actually good people doing the best job that we possibly can That deep down inside, we're actually nice people, though sometimes we do wrong things. We're not justified by that. We're not justified by the good things that we do or the nice things that we do for people. We have a sense that we should do those things. And sometimes when we do those good things, we do them with kind of a hope or kind of a thought in the back of our minds. That, well, that made up for some of the bad stuff that I've done. I've done some bad things, so I should go out and do some good things. To justify myself, to feel better about myself and before God as well. We're not justified because of our baptism or because we have paid some price or offered up some special offering, made a special donation to the church on Easter, feeling justified. We are not justified by offering up in the Old Testament some bull, some goat, some lamb. They will not justify us. Instead, It is through the resurrection of Jesus that we are justified. How? How? What was it about the resurrection itself that made that possible? That justification possible? The answer to that question begins not with what the resurrection was for us but what the resurrection was for Jesus. Okay? Hear hear that carefully. The answer to the question does not begin with what was the resurrection for us. Rather, it begins with what was the resurrection for Jesus? And here's the statement. The resurrection is the justification of Jesus. The resurrection is is the justification of Jesus from the letter of 1st Timothy. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, or vindicated in the Spirit, and vindicated is the word justify. Justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Jesus was justified in his resurrection. It is his vindication from the courts of heaven before the world. It is the divine declaration, demonstration, verification, proclamation, publication, affirmation, confirmation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is what the resurrection is for Jesus. To Jesus. The resurrection then declares this. What does it declare about Jesus? I'm going to give you five things here, and I won't do them long. I'm going to give you five things that the resurrection declares about Jesus. First, the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that he is who he said he was. He is who he said he was. He said he was the son of God, the son of man, the son of David. He said he was the bread of life. He said he was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who had been prophesied from long ago. And in the face of death, he said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. And so when he is raised from the dead and he stands in front of the apostles and he stands in front of Thomas and he says, stick your fingers here and see. It's a demonstration that he is who he said he was. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and now the resurrection and the life is the one who is standing right in front of them. Jesus, Jesus' identity is justified in the resurrection. Second, the resurrection declares his complete innocence as it confirms his perfect obedience. He loved his Father perfectly. He loved his Father completely. Now, as the eternal Son of God, the one who ever was, very God of very God, without beginning, as the eternal Word, the Son always loved the Father. But the affirmation in the resurrection is that the incarnate Son loved the Father, which is to say, a man loved the Father perfectly, fully, completely, finally, a man, a single human being who loved God and did all of the will of God in his life. He was obedient, Obedient all the way to death on a cross. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. In other words, it is to say the resurrection is the declaration that he is in fact righteous. Death, therefore, has no claim on him. Death does all it can to hold him down. Because the wages of sin is death. And if death holds him down, it shows that Jesus was in fact a sinner. So death will do everything that it possibly can. It will put him in a tomb. It will seal the tomb. It will set up a guard who is there to wrap him up in the linen cloths. Death says, no, I will not let this one go. But he will not be held. He cannot be held by it because he doesn't deserve it. He's the living one. He's the obedient one. He's the righteous one. Third, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the declaration that he is the victor, that he is victorious. He has conquered all of the great enemies. From the beginning of his life, he tussled with Satan in the wilderness and the devil withdrew until an opportune time, and at the cross, the devil looks at it and then goes, ah, this is it, this is the opportune time, this is when I will make my mark upon him. His enemy was Satan, his enemy was death itself, his enemy was the grave, his enemy was hell, hell. his enemy was sin. His enemy was our sinful flesh. Throughout all of his life, he had opposition from people who were all around him from the day of his birth onward. There was opposition to him. There was human opposition to him. There was demonic opposition to him. And he is victorious over all of it by his obedience. Paul makes an incredible statement at the beginning of this book, Romans 1, verse 4. It says this, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the the Spirit of holiness. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? And when? Listen to the entirety of the verse. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's when he is declared to be the Son of God in power. When he is raised up by the Father, the Father says, you are the Son of God in power. You are Christus victor. You are the risen, conquering king And that's why we read those great passages that we love. That's why the Father exalts him and gives him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is the victor. The Heidelberg Catechism writes it like this. By his resurrection, he has overcome death. So that he might make us share in the righteousness he won for us by his death. Overcome. One. He's the victor. He's the overcomer. He's the winner. He's the conqueror. Fourth, the resurrection declares that he has accomplished the mission that the Father gave to him. The mission that the Father gave to the Son, that the Son then took upon himself, is the mission of our atonement. And I'll say it one more time. What does it consist of? It consists of the Son being the sacrifice, being the one whose blood is shed instead of our blood being shed. It consists the atonement of him taking upon himself the wrath of God in our stead. It consists of him reconciling us to God himself. It consists of his precious blood purchasing us, being the ransom that is paid for us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the stamp, it is accomplished. It is accomplished. That mission is accomplished. On then fifth, the resurrection of Jesus is the declaration of the Father, to the Son, and to the world, it is accepted. It is accepted. I receive it. It is enough. It is sufficient. There's nothing lacking in what you have done, Son. There is nothing wanting in what you have done. You have done it. You have accomplished it all. If on the cross, Jesus can say of the atonement, it is finished. In the resurrection, the Father can say, and I receive it. And I accept it. Payment made. Death does not get the last word. Life gets the last word. And I am pleased with you, my son. God is. Approves of his son and of the work and you see it in the resurrection he declares him to be the son of God in power lifts him up as the God man to the exalted position the resurrection of Jesus is his vindication his justification and the message of Romans 4 and of plenty of other places as well is that Jesus is not a hoarder with respect to his justification and his righteousness. That instead, what Jesus does, having earned that title, the Son of God in power, having received the acclamation that comes with the resurrection of the dead, is Jesus establishes a new household. A family of justification. And that's why the the context of Romans 4 is what it is. It's it's a family like Abraham was part of that family. You enter the house of justification of Jesus Christ in the same way that Abraham did. It is a house that Jesus established and you enter into it by faith in who he is and what he did. Which is accomplished and confirmed in his death and in his resurrection. For us. For us, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When we believe in Jesus, his justification, his righteousness is reckoned to be ours. Hear it again. That is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words "it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. He's not the only one in the house. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When we... Put our faith in Jesus. We are bound together in Jesus. Christ beneath us, Christ above us, Christ on our right, Christ on our left, Christ in front of us, Christ behind us. And what is true of him in fullness, in completeness, is reckoned to be true of us, as well. Now listen then to those same five aspects and these will each only be a sentence told from our perspective. If his resurrection declares the truth that he is who he said he was, the son of God then we are who he says we are. The children of God. The family and the household of God. If his resurrection declares his full obedience, his innocence, his righteousness, then that and exactly that is what is reckoned to us as we are in him. If his resurrection declares that he is victor, then in him, in him, we are more than conquerors. He will defend us. And we are more than conquerors in him. If his resurrection declares the accomplishment of atonement, then we are the recipients of that atonement in him. If in his resurrection the father declares that he is accepted, that he is received, that the atonement is received, then we are accepted and we are are received and receive the rights of the children of God we will be exalted with him as we will be united with him in a resurrection like his by faith by faith in the resurrection of Jesus what happens is we are clothed in his clothes, clothed in his righteousness clothed in his justification. His clothes are our clothes. They belong to us. Now, right now, they feel a little big. They feel a little baggy. When the Word of God says to us, you are declared, you are reckoned to be righteous, you kind of feel inside. Hold on a second. I... I actually kind of know me at least a little bit, and I know that's not true. The clothes feel baggy to you right now. By the power of the Spirit at work within you, you will grow into them. And there will come a time at the return of the Son in glory, at your resurrection, when the fitting, the final fitting, will take place in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. And in Christ and in his righteousness, we will be clothed for all eternity. One of the great hymns of the church says this. For me, he died. For me, he lives. And everlasting light and life, he freely gives. May that be our song. So the sum of all of the good news in all of the world is this. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Lord, how can it be that we are the recipients of this? I do not know, but this I know. You've promised, and you've done it, and so it must be so. Grant us faith to believe and to endure and persist in our belief. Risen, conquering Son. Amen.